0: They were going to give me a a, like a music stand, but I wanted something I could hide behind. I I I don't want you to see my knees knocking because that's embarrassing for me. My my wife and I we pastored over in Jerome for 27 years, and we were from a, a Baptist group. And the old timey preachers in the Baptist group they had some great sayings. They were just funny sayings. One was a a dancing foot and a praying knee don't grow on the same leg. And so whenever my wife would get up and sing a special, she was always dancing behind the pulpit. They just never saw. Are. so I, I, would, I would be sitting back there watching her and she'd be back and forth dancing Ye- oh swaying, okay, you call it what you want dear, potato, potato, tomato tomato, I don't know, go to Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4 I am so honored that I was asked to preach to you today I understand that I am filling very big shoes, Pastor Andy has been a godsend to me and to my family, he has been a, a source of strength and inspiration for me, as I I almost feel like when I went back to Oklahoma, I was, I was talking to their minister's association, and there were hundreds of pastors that were in this group. And I'm from a little small church out in Idaho, and I was staying the night with my friend before this meeting. He said, Gene, you're going to be preaching to some of the best pastors in the United States tomorrow. And he said, you're going to be like a Shetland pony in, in a field full of thoroughbreds. And I said, thanks for the encouragement. You, you have blessed my heart with that analogy. And, uh, but we, we made it through okay. Um, so if God can use a donkey to talk in the Old Testament, maybe he can use a little Shetland pony like me today. Pastor Andy speaks in... He thinks in paragraphs and pages, and every word has a job. I have to tell you that I'm not like that. Words, words will come flowing out like a fire hose, and hopefully some of them will hit you in a way that maybe it will help you. So just know that staccato sentences are coming, and you need to listen fast because I talk fast. So Romans chapter 4 and verse 13 was the passage that Pastor Andy gave me. It's a part of an ongoing series of sermons. Verse 13 of Romans 4. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are the law be heirs, then faith is made void and the promise made of none effect, because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is a faith. That it might be by grace, to the end that the seed, the promise, might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that which also is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, which quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope. That he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, being about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God but was uh, through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification." Back about in 1927-28, the Navy was working on developing a fleet of submarines, and these were the early submarines. Uh, they really weren't very good. And uh, the one that I'm talking about today was the S-4. And uh, they're, they were doing operations off of the East Coast, off of New England. And uh, while they were out there, a Coast Guard ship that was used in uh, trying to cut down rum running during the days of Prohibition accidentally rammed the S-4 submarine. And unfortunately, it was one of those things like the Titanic But it was was hit so deeply that it went immediately down. By the time the Coast Guard ship got the the lifeboats off of the side down into the water, there was nothing on the surface but oil and bubbles from the the broken-up submarine coming up. They tried to mount a rescue mission. It would ultimately fail. They tried as hard as they could, but the New England weather was horrible. It was in the dead of winter, and this was before the self-contained underwater breathing apparatus that Jacques Cousteau invented and used. This is when they had to have a a hose to the surface for any divers that went down, and it was so deep that it was dangerous for the divers to be there, And, and the storm was so bad they couldn't get equipment down, and one of the divers that was down, he was trying to figure something out. I mean, they wanted to save these men. And they they got he, he had his helmet up against the metal of the submarine, and he heard a tapping. And, and in Morse code, somebody inside was tapping out a message. And the message was, is there any hope? Isn't that the message of the world today? Is there any hope? I mean... Chuck Swindoll, he has this statement, and I I like it quite a lot. You can live for weeks without food. You can live for days without water. You can live for minutes without air. You cannot live a second without hope. The cry of the human heart is hope. You came here this morning because you need an infusion of hope. I think it's the universal human need. And so we're going to dig into that today. But before we do, we're going to do what Pastor Andy does. Pastor Andy does something exceptionally well that we need to follow this pattern. Number one is he teaches you a principle that you need to know if you're going to study the Bible. If you're going to study the Bible, you need to remember this phrase, context is king. If you're going to study a passage, always read what came before it and what came after it. Always ask yourself the who, what, when, where, why questions so that when you dig into that passage, you're not making it say something that it doesn't really say. Pastor Andy does that exceptionally well as he walks with you through the passage. And here's, here's two things that flow out of that context This king that he does for you. Have you noticed when he preaches the sermon, he walks with you through exactly what the Scripture says. He hits these verses, and he t- tells you what it means, what his context is, and he's answering this one question, what does the Bible say? Because that's the question you ask first. Now, at the end of the sermon, he puts up on here what he calls takeaways, those takeaways takeaways, they're vital because that's where the rubber meets the road in your life. They're the application points that you make to the answer to the question, what does the Bible say? Now you're answering, what does the Bible say to me? But you got the correct interpretation first, then the application flows out of that. That's what he does. So we've got to follow his excellent example in what we do. We are in the book of Romans. Romans is the North Star of the New Testament. When Pastor Anne me assigned me this passage, I was like Thumper when he ran into a, a girdle rabbit. I was excited, man. I, I drool a little bit when I think about Romans. Romans is is probably the best book if you want to learn biblical theology. Romans is your book. I mean, it's where you go. Now, what you're going to find is is Paul is outlining a concept here that he describes in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith, to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. That last sentence is the theme of the book. It's the theme of the book, the just shall live by faith. It's also the theme of Galatians, the just shall live by faith. It's also the theme of Habakkuk, which I can't say right. It's an Old Testament minor prophet. And, And so God believed that the just shall live by faith was so important, He dedicated three books of the Bible to it. You think He wants us to understand it? Yes, he does. Now, as you break down the book to get it in, in its proper placement, what you find is chapters one through three, we find I am separated from God. I have got a sin problem. What is the letter in the, the middle letter in the word sin? I. I have a sin problem. Me. It's easy for me to think that the rest of the world has a sin problem as I, as I look at some of you, especially. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we, we all think other people have a sin problem. We never think we have a sin problem. You know, it's, it's easy for me to see other people's flaws, hard for me to see my flaws. So, Paul doesn't let us get away with that. Paul was one of those meddling preachers that goes to naming sins. And at the end of chapter one, he has a, a list that you might call Cinerama and Panorama, man. He puts it in 4K. A bold Dolby 5.0 stereo sound, he starts taking names and he lists a lot. If you want to read it when you get home, it reads like our current newspapers read. And then in chapter two, he knew that somebody was going to excuse themselves. And so he says, Thou art inexcusable, O man because you expect other people to do right but you don't do right. And then he talks to the Jewish community because they believe that because they had the Moses Moses and the law, that somehow they had it a lot better than the Gentiles and he says, no, you've got a greater level of culpability than the Gentiles have, but you're a mess. So so this passage is maybe summed up in, in, in Romans 3.10 there is none righteous no, not one. So that's where we start from. Then in 3, he goes on to say there in the passage that our mouths are an open sepulcher. Our feet are swift to shed blood. He's saying we're a mess. And then in, in Romans 3.23, in case anybody thinks they're going to slip out under the, under the radar, he says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Nobody gets out of it. It's it's us, so we have a sin problem. Then chapters 4 and 5, he goes to the concept of being, uh, of you are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. God can put you in a standing where in his eyes, it's just like you've never ever sinned. But how does that accomplish? That's accomplished by the work of Christ on the cross. And when you have faith alone in Christ alone, that's what saves you. And he makes that argument in chapter 4 and 5. Chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in a stance of enmity against God, shaking our fist at God, saying, I'll not have you rule over me. This is my life. I'll live my life my way. There's nothing you can say about it. God's stands to us was open arms. He commended his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, in, at enmity with God, he said, I love you. Come here. I'm a hugger. I, I, you know, I'm, I don't, I, I'm sorry. I am. Uh, so if you, I'm, instead of shaking hands, I'm pretty likely to wrap you up. You know? But God's a hugger too. I think he opens up his arms and pulls you in. Relationship with none. Then then he talks in chapter six through eight, he's talking about how you can be transformed by this faith in Christ alone. You can be transformed from a rebel to a son or daughter of God. You you can be, your life can be changed in a radical, incredible way, and you can begin to deal with that sin issue in your life. So, Romans six, one through four says. It says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. He said, I've got a new life for you guys. You don't got to live that old way anymore. That, That old stuff's dead. Old things are passed away. All things are become new, Paul says in Corinthians. Man, that's good. And then, then in chapter 7, though, he's a realist. He hits, chapter 7 hits that point. Have you ever had the, that, that time in your life when you say, Man, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I should do, I don't do. The things that I do, I probably shouldn't do. You probably hit that. Chapter 7 talks about that. That's real practical stuff. But then in chapter 8, he teaches you how the law of the Spirit can raise you above even that old pull of sin. So he says that there is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So the Holy Spirit of God is like the aerodynamic wings of an airplane that can cause you to lift up above the gravitational pull of sin in your life and you can move into victory as a blood bought, born again, spirit filled, dynamic son or daughter of God and you no longer have to be defined by the old sin nature that you Used to rule you, because now the Holy Spirit rules you. Isn't that a lot better? Somebody say amen, man. Okay, good, good. You, you don't have to... I, I come from a sort of a denomination where preaching is a little bit more of a dialogue than a monologue, so if you have to say something, it's okay. You won't scare me or nothing. I'm not like the guy... <laughs> Pastor Andy, remember, remember the story Pastor Andy told about the taxi driver that used to be a mortician, and the guy taps him on the back and he wrecks. You won't scare me that way. Uh, And if you need to know the joke, I'll tell you later. Um, So, quick, quick, back, back. Um, Then in chapters 12, or excuse me, uh, uh, 9 through 11, he he wants, God wants the Jewish community that had been broken off through unbelief to be grafted back into the the olive branch of faith. And and so so it was God's hope that Israel would be saved, Paul's hope Israel would be saved. Then in chapters 12, through um, through sixteen, he talks about the practical aspect of it. If you, if you break down Paul's letters, what you'll find is he always deals with doctrine first, and then he hits the practical stuff. So he says, um, "Oh my thing, I got I got to go to Romans twelve. I I got stuck there. Romans 12. Oh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then he talks about the spiritual giftings. And he lists a whole bunch of the spiritual gifts that we have to be able to accomplish ministry together. And everybody needs everybody. And then he's going to talk in 13 about the honoring the governmental authorities that are over you, understanding that those that bear the sword bear it as a ministry. In chapter 14, he's going to talk about the weaker brother and the stronger brother not doing stuff to intentionally offend others within the church. 15, he focuses back again on Jesus. Chapter 16, he's saying his goodbyes, uh, hug Aunt Martha for me, that kind of a thing. Well, it's not really Aunt Martha. I don't know who's in there, but the, you read it. You'll find a list of names. He says, say hi to them. How, you know, I, I like them. They're really good. So check that out when you get a chance. That's the context of the book. Now, for chapter 4, where we're at, we're going to go through in just a minute, Paul has just let them know, he said, Abraham was justified before God hundreds of years before the law came. So you're not saved by law keeping. You're not saved just because you follow the regulations. And then he's going to say, Paul, Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. He's saying the religious ritual is not what makes you right with God. So he said regulation doesn't make you right with God. Ritual doesn't make you right with God. Only relationship with Jesus makes you right with God. Only faith in his work on the cross is not any work that you can do. So let's, let, let's make our way through this, uh, through this concept here. Everybody has a pain point in their life. Abram, Abraham's pain point was he, he was childless. He didn't have any kids. Now, Pastor Andy had to know this. this, this I, I got nine kids. So, so, so I, he probably snickered when he gave me a passage that talked about Abraham, the father of many nations. You know, because so, I, I almost got that. When my brother Norman comes out, he has ten kids. I have nine kids. When we go into a restaurant, dude, it looks like a hostile takeover. I mean, they're just looking, and these kids go by and by and by, and they're, they're like... How many was that? You know, it, it looks like a youth group of a church or something. And when you got that many kids, when we got them all piled into the same thing, they won't take your order or drive-thru because they think it's high school kids punking them. So you, you drive up to the drive-thru, and you're like, we'd like 30 hamburgers. They're like, no, no, you ain't getting 30 hamburgers, man, because they just know they're going to make 30 hamburgers, and it's high schoolers punking them. So you know what I'm saying. But So Pastor Andy probably snickered when he gave me the Father of Many Nations passage. But here, here that was his pain point. He couldn't have any kids. He was barren. And that day, it was almost a reproach. It was a, it did, it, Maybe you did something wrong if, if you couldn't have kids because be fruitful and multiply. That's in the Bible. Even in the Older Testament, in the Pentateuch, Abraham would have known that. And I can't have kids. Well, my story started like his story started. My pain point was his pain point. I I've been doing ministry since I was in high school. I mean, active in, in teaching and, and communicating the Word of God, witnessing, soul-winning, knocking on doors, running bus routes, children's churches. If, if it's done in a church, I've done it. And I'd go, I'd go in Salem, we'd go, and I'd go out on a bus. I'd get 80 kids on the bus. We, I'd preach to over 100 kids in the children's church. I'd teach a youth group. And I'd go home to home with no kids. We could have kids. We were infertile. We were infertile for a dozen years. And I, I watched, we watched, we dealt with a very rough part of Salem. And, and you'd watch people that were having kids that really didn't want kids. And, they, and my wife, her, her only goal in life, the only thing she ever wanted to be was a mom. And that, that's her goal. That's what she wanted to be. And I watched my wife cry herself to sleep at night. And she's not, a, she's not a, a, like a highly emotional person. This was a deep pain point for her. And I couldn't give her a kid, man. I, I, I felt like a failure. I mean, I, it broke my heart. I, I couldn't, I, I, somehow I've cried, and I couldn't do anything about it. Well, we, we started some of the fertility stuff, but that stuff's expensive. Have you, ever, have you ever looked into how much that caused? And this is back when they didn't have, like, insurance that covered that sort of stuff. We started down that road. We, we, that was not going to be a possibility for us. So, a dozen years in, a dozen years in, we go, well, maybe we should adopt. Maybe maybe that's what God's will is for us to adopt. And so we start thinking about that and praying about it. And a lady from over in Twin Falls calls us, and she's a grandma of 10 year old twin girls, and their parents, uh, their son, And the mom had been on a a car trip back from jackpot, had been hit head-on, and they both died instantly. The grandparents and an aunt and an uncle were trying to take care of the girls between the two of them, but they felt like that they were too advanced in years, and the aunt and uncle already had a larger family. And so they were looking to adopt the girls out. Well, I'm looking to adopt. They're looking to adopt the girls out. Match made in heaven. The girls move into our house. They live with us they're so sweet when I went up to pick them up I we went up to Haley which is where the uncle lived we're driving back and they're just you know uh, taking all the oxygen out of the room in the back seat talking chattering. and, and they, they see some flowers beside the road up on like Timberman Hill and they, they ask if we can stop and they stop and they get some wildflowers to take and give to Sandy this is the first time, the first time they'll ever see her they come in with flowers that they had me stop to get and they be, about a couple of weeks into having them that they, they found out I like coffee I'm like a coffee junkie like I have a a problem, you know, I, I need a, some sort of twelve-step program. Hi, my name is Juan Valdez. I like coffee. Um, I, but anyway, they they made me a pot of coffee. But they filled the whole basket up with coffee, not, not like they used a big scoop. I mean, they filled the entire basket up with coffee, and the coffee grounds, of course, poured out into the, into the coffee pot and poured into... I chewed that coffee, but I, left, I told them that was about the best cup of coffee I ever had in my life. I, it was chewy. It was good. I ate the coffee. And, and so, anyway, they're there with us probably, I don't know, a couple of months, and it gets into the summertime. It's Fourth of July. We're having a Fourth of July picnic at our house. Some of the people from church coming over. uh, Mother and father-in-law there, just having having a good time. And the night before, one or no, two days before, uh, one of the girls had said, "Hey, can we call our grandma in California?" We didn't know there was a grandma in California. Somehow, Grandma and Grandpa here in Idaho didn't tell anything about Grandma and Grandpa in California. That's news I could have used. So they called Grandma and Grandpa. Grandma and Grandpa did what I would have done. They got in in their van, drove up to Idaho, and got their kids, you know, and and took the the twins back with them. I was devastated. My wife can tell you I cried for two days. I I just cried and cried and cried. I thought, God, I I can't give my wife a baby I can't even give her an adoption. Are you kidding me, God? I mean, I was upset. I was I was distraught. I am like this. Like it's like somebody unplugged me or something. I I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And, and I I was went to work. I worked as a custodian at the middle school, and they um. We'd stripping the floors down, and uh, we'd strip it down to nothing. And and God. God showed me. There's a passage in Psalms that I was reading. It says. Why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. And I don't know why, but that verse spoke to me. It was just the right time, and, 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 I, and I started hoping in God. i got nine kids now, man. I've had one biological. I've got eight adoptions. I've got more kids than I know what to do with all these guys up here. These, these are my kids, except for my wife and, and a dear young lady here. But, and then I've got two. I've got uh, one up in... Um, up in Children's Church and one over in Gooding, getting ready to go up and work at the, the camp over there. God, it, it took a long time, but God answered that prayer. And we went through pain in it. So I, I want you to know that there's hope for your pain. Let's make our way rapidly through this. First of all, Brian Bill suggests six things that in this passage that you can learn to move from hopelessness to hopefulness. Number one is face the facts. Abraham, he, he, he thought... I'm a 100 years old, man. My wife's almost 90. How likely is it that we're going to be in the newspaper as the mother and father of somebody? I mean, how likely is it that we're going to apply for the WIC program to get help for uh, our little baby? I mean, it's just, uh, they, they can't fathom how this is going to play out. You know, and, and, and so, but he looked, honestly looked at the situation. So if you're in a, a situation that is hurting your heart, you have to face the facts. Look at it as it is. There's no Pollyanna stuff here. He's not burying his head in the sand saying, you know, just chanting to himself that everything's going to be okay. He's like, God, I'm just about dead. You know, my, my next foot's probably going to be in the grave, not in the nursery. You know, I'm, I'm, my next purchase might be a funeral plot, not a, not a crib. You know, but God had different plans for him. So face the facts, because when you face the facts, then you know what kind of a miracle God pulled off in your life. So whatever you're facing, face the facts. Number two, deal with doubts. He staggered not at the promise of God. This stool this illustrated. There's a couple of things about faith. Number one, faith is, faith is only as good as the object in which you place it. Faith, you don't have faith in faith. <laughs> in the early days of Sunday school, they had a convention. This is, this is uh, like the late 1800s, early 1900s, and they would gather all the children in the community together and have a Sunday school convention, and they would have a speaker. It was kind of a dynamic speaker, and he was trying to teach the children about faith. And his idea was that, that faith is when you rest all your weight on something. In other words, if, if he would say to the kids, do... do do you believe this chair could hold me up? And they would say, yes, I believe this chair could hold you up. And, and he said, well, I believe the chair will hold me up. And then he would say, how come the chair isn't holding me up? Because you're not sitting on it, they would shout out. Well, he, So he goes over to demonstrate the point, and he plops down, but he's a big guy. you know, And he plops down, and the chair just busts under him. And, and his feet are kind of waving up in the air. Of course, the kids are just busting up laughing. That's the funniest thing they've ever seen. And he gets up off the floor, and he says, he says, I started to teach you one thing about faith, but I accidentally taught you another thing about faith. The importance of faith is it's only as good as the object in which you place it. And so our faith is not in faith itself. Our faith is in God. So we need to face the facts. We need to deal with our doubts. And that means that we have to focus on what God can do, not on what, what we can do. In the book of Nehemiah, they faced a similar thing. God had called Nehemiah to come and rebuild the wall, and they had been in the process of it, and the workers got tired. It says, And Judah said, And the strength of the bearers of the burden is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. Now, the rubble was there in Nehemiah chapter 1. It wasn't like the rubble was a new thing. The rubble was always there. But now they're not focused on what God called them to do. They're focused on the mess. You need to assess your mess and understand that God is bigger than your mess. Now, how my song leader, Don Bennett, used to talk about it, he said it was like railroad tracks. He said, railroad tracks, if you're standing on them, they go out in front of you. You always have good things in your life, and you always have bad things in your life. You choose which track you're going to walk on. You choose which one of those that you're going to make a part of your life. And, but you always have both there. It's your choice. So he here is warning about not wavering, not doubting God. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And then ponder the promises of God, says he not at the promise through unbelief. The Bible is full of promises. You know why most Christians don't have any idea what they are? Because they don't read the Bible. I'm just telling you, I've pastored for a long time. I've taught a long time. And the gravest concern I have is a famine of the Word of God in the hearts and minds of His children. I'm just, like one one kid, his, his dad, they, they lived in a place where it was kind of normal once a kid graduates from school, high school, he'd get a title to a car and keys to a car. And so he graduates and he's thinking, Man, I'm I'm gonna get I'm gonna get the keys to the car. And his dad comes up to him and he gives him a gift wrap Bible. Well, the son opens it and looks at it and throws it back at his father, goes away, and doesn't talk to his father for the rest of his life. His father eventually passes away, and he starts to go through the stuff, and he comes across this Bible that his father had given to him. As he opened that Bible up, there was a cashier's check for the amount of the car that he wanted to buy, and he'd thrown it away. The Bible's full of promises, man. God's got promises for your life. If you look in Romans chapter 8, there are four different promises in Romans 8. Just in that chapter, Uh, he says there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. You don't got to live with the weight of guilt and sin on you. You can be set free from that. You're also, he can work all things together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. He can take the pain point in your life and use that and turn it into something that's positive and good in your life as you love Him or the called according to His purpose. Nobody can lay any charge to, to the elect. He's, nobody can, can lay any accusation to you. You're God. You're bought on the cross. He, he bought you. And then you can't be separated from the love of God. That's just in one chapter. There, and there's others in there about the Holy Spirit interpreting your prayers and those kind of things. That's like five, six promises in one chapter. How many are in the Bible, man? It's chuck full of them. But you know what? You know what most people's Bibles do is, you guys like a dish remote, Direct TV remote, cable one thing. The Bible holds up the remote control so that you can get and find out what's on 300 channels of TV that's nothing but garbage. I mean, the TVs, they've got a brightness control on them, but they don't make it any smarter. That stuff is dumb, man. You watch that stuff, it's going to wreck you. It's probably time that we, that we change what we're focused on. And if you dig into the Word of God, you're going to find promises that deal with the issues that are flowing in your life. And then these uh, give glory to God. George Mueller, had, he had a series of orphanages across England during the time of Spurgeon. He lived almost the entirety of the 1800s. He was born like 1803, died in like 1897 or something. He had, he had a series of orphanages where at, at almost any given time, he was taking care of 2,000 orphans in, in England. And, and he, he never asked for any money or anything. Here's what he said. He said, The first and primary object of the work was, and still is, that God might be magnified by the fact that orphans under my care are provided with all they need only by prayer and faith without anyone being asked by me or my fellow laborers whereby it may be seen that God is faithful still and hears prayer still. Man, he's given glory to God. He, he was determined that God would get the glory out of what he was doing. And he took care uh, during his lifetime of over 10,000 orphans. He had, he had, a, he had a, 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 a prayer journal that he kept. Pastor Eddie keeps one, a prayer journal where he records prayers and then records answers to prayer. I looked it up and I, I forgot during the first service. He had 50,000 specific answers to prayer. And tens of thousands of those were answered the same day he prayed them. God's still on the throne. God's still powerful. And, we, and once we understand the promises and we're willing to give glory to God, God can move in a powerful, profound way. He did say one thing that I, I wanted to mention to you is this. He says that when you pray according to God's will, when you're, when you're exercising faith in Christ alone, one of the things you need to understand is even when you're praying according to God's will, God does it in His timing. God answers His prayer in His timing, not in your timing. He knows what's best for you. The final point is we can progressively know the character of God in this process of moving from hopelessness to hopefulness. The process for Abraham was 25 years. He, he was promised children 25 years before he had a child. That's, that's a long time to wait for a promise of God. But here's what I think happened to Abraham and what happened to me, is I learned to know God better during that time of praying and desiring uh, what, what I wanted from God. He began to reveal himself to me in ways that I probably wouldn't have understood had He given me a child the first day I asked for it. You know, I, I, I think you know God. And God, God uses seven different names of Himself to reveal Himself to Abraham because the names of God have a meaning. So Jehovah Rapha, God is a healer. Jehovah Jireh, God is a provider. El, the mighty one. Uh, Yahweh, uh, He's the self-existent one, the great I Am. If you want to know God, maybe study His names. That's a good study. If you're waiting for something, get to know God better during the waiting time. Here's the, the primary thing. If you're going to get to know God better, it might be a good idea to start getting to know God, to, to get saved. A lady that had um, got saved in her, her older age, she had never been to church. She didn't have church experience, but she got saved. And I mean, it changed her life. And her friends noticed. And they, they were kind of tormenting her a little bit, you know, kind of hassling her over it, and she was trying to explain to them what happened, and she didn't have any theological language that she could use. She was a new Christian. And she said, well, it's like this. It's like Jesus stood in my shoes on the cross so that I could stand in His shoes in heaven. He paid the sin penalty I owed so that I could go to heaven. He paid the price for me. You ever heard Alistair Bagg talk about the man in the middle? Alistair Begg is a Bible teacher. One of the things that he, he talks about is, is in the cross, the crucifixion, Jesus is on the middle cross, and on either side there are two thieves, an insurrectionist. And, and he said he just tried to imagine what it was like when that guy on the middle cross gets up into heaven, and people start asking him, Why are you here? You know, He'd never been to a church service. We don't know that he ever prayed any other prayer except for, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Uh, He was never through any of the baptisms or ceremonial services that Judaism had. He he might not have even known any of the names of God, but the only thing he could say was the man in the middle said, I could come. Jesus said, I could come. That's so powerful to me, man. Jesus says, you can come. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. God wants to give you rest. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be as white as snow. I, I, I'm going to change everything. If you'd stand, and heads bowed and eyes closed. If you've never, ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you'd like to, I, I'd like this altar's open to you. It's a place where you can come. And and Jesus can meet you here. You you can start a new faith walk here. Would you like to come just in the quietness of the hour? Would you like to slip out of where you're at and come down. Is there anybody? Is you don't want to make a speech? I'm just gonna I'll pray with you. Anybody? Derek Redmond was in the 1992 Barcelona Olympics, and he was a favored for the gold medal in the 400. And he was, he was doing record time in this race, and his hamstring blew out. He heard it snap. He dropped to the track. The, the medics rushed out to try to help him. He wouldn't let them. And he started hopping on one foot. To try to finish the race he, he wasn't going to win he wasn't going to go beyond that and all of a sudden a man piles out of the stands comes down wraps his arm around Derek and starts almost half carrying him and it's his father And at first his father says you don't have to do this and he said yes I do and his father almost carried this guy across the finish line I mean, the, the stands erupted. It was, like, it was like this insane eruption. He didn't win. There was no record. It was probably the slowest 400 that had ever been run by anybody anywhere. But they saw a love of a father. God the Father loves you enough to come down and wrap his arms around you and you're hurt. I, 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 Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Amen, sister. Abba, Father wants to come down and wrap his arms around you in those pain points. So if you want me to pray for you about a pain point in your life, a hurt in your heart, if you just hold up your hand, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray for you right now. If you would like, you have a pain point in your life, I see those hands with any others. Just slip your hand up. I'm going I'm to pray for you. Anybody else? Okay, slip your hands up. I'm not embarrassing you in any way, shape, or form. I don't ever do that. I don't play games with people. Okay, I see those. Any other hands? Any other hands? Okay, let's pray together. Mighty Father God, we just come to you in the name, the mighty name of Jesus, asking you to move in a profound way in the lives of my friends and even family that are here. I pray, God, that you would be with them. Show them the truths they need in their lives right now. God, if there are any promises they need to claim, guide them to those promises in your word. If there are any sins they need to confess, allow them, God, to bring them before the throne and find freedom and forgiveness. God, if there are any habits that they need to change, God, allow them to have the power and the resource to be able to become an overcomer more than a conqueror in you. God, allow them to mount up with wings and soar. God, allow them, Father, to come to know you in a profound way, even as you deal with this hurt that's in their heart. Let them know you love them and care for them. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you. Yeah, but yeah, come play.